This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College. Join them for two weeks digging up dinosaur bones from the Jurassic period in Northwest Colorado this summer. For details, go to cncc.edu slash dinodig. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello and welcome to I Know Dino. I'm Garrett. And I'm Sabrina. And today we'll be talking about Eoraptor. We have an interview with Brad Jost from the Jurassic Park podcast and some dinosaur news. Some big dinosaur news. Eh, big. (laughs) (laughs) You'll get that in a minute. Yes, you might get it right now. So first in the news is a story slash republished article. It was published originally in Volumina Jurassic and then revisited in Pure J preprints recently. And it's titled The Fragile Legacy of Amphicolius Fragilimus. And it was written by Carrie Woodruff and John R. Foster. So some background. Edward Drinker Cope discovered a vertebrae in the summer of 1878. And he identified the fossil as a sauropod and named it Amphicolius Fragilimus. The only bone found was a single incomplete vertebra that was reported to be a meter and a half tall, which is about five feet, obviously huge. And that was incomplete. It was actually recreated as a complete bone a few years ago by Tony DeCroce and Ken Carpenter. And they ended up with a bone that is more than eight and a half feet or two and a half meters tall. And we'll have a link to a picture on our blog and in our newsletter. It's totally crazy. It's an enormous bone. I mean, at eight and a half feet tall, you can't even get it through a doorway. It's so big. And that's just a vertebrae. You know, that's not the biggest bone in the body. If you had a femur, who knows how big it would be. The animal was estimated to be about 190 feet or 58 meters long. And that's about 50% longer than the next longest dinosaur, things like Argentinosaurus. So it's a crazy huge find, and apparently there's a chance that there was actually a typo which turned 1,050 millimeters of the height of this incomplete vertebra into 1,500 millimeters, or it might have even been 150 millimeters into 1,500 millimeters, making it 10 times bigger, but that's all speculative. Some scientists, such as Carrie Woodrow and John Foster from this article, believe that physics would have prevented a sauropod from growing much larger than about 100 feet. And you probably know blue whales are about 100 feet long, but they need the support of the water in the ocean just to not get crushed under their own weight. And when they get beached, that's one of the big problems is they can't even really breathe or do much because their own weight is so damaging to them. And dinosaurs can obviously be a little more svelte than a whale can. But even still, getting more than 100 feet long gets pretty difficult, even with a lot of that being 
tail and neck. It's just the physics of it become difficult. And this one, you know, at an estimated about 200 feet is just crazy. So adding to the quote unquote fragile legacy, as they titled their paper, Cope never mentioned the fossil again after his initial description. So he described it and he drew one picture of it and that was it. He never mentioned it again. And that even included while he was describing his theory about how dinosaurs grow in their lineage throughout time. And you'd think you'd mention the biggest dinosaur you discovered when you're describing that process. It seems weird he didn't. He also only drew the bone from the one angle, like I mentioned, rather than more than one, as he typically did. He kind of alluded to that being because the bone was very fragile, so he couldn't really easily move it and draw it from different angles. And that's the reason he named it fragilimus, because the bone appeared to be so fragile. The history of the bone is kind of interesting, too. It was found in 1878 and described, and then it was transported to the American Museum of Natural History in 1895 and given a catalog number, and it came in along with a whole bunch of other bones from the same area where this one was discovered. But two other scientists named Osborne and Mook published their monograph on the sauropods of Cope, which included all of his sauropod discoveries from the area where a fragilimus was found and it was conspicuously missing and has never been seen since maybe 1895, but it might have gotten a catalog number without being seen. It's kind of unclear. There are a couple reasons why it might not be around anymore. It's been searched for a couple times in the American Museum of Natural History and never seen. One theory is that it might have fallen apart because it was such a fragile specimen with the fragilimus. And if it fell apart, it might have just been thrown away by someone who was cleaning up and got confused and thought it was just garbage. It might not have ever existed. Like we mentioned, it might have just been a totally different size or maybe Cope just made it up because he was competing and he thought, oh, what if I had this huge bone? But that seems a little bit unlikely since they gave it a catalog number. Or it might have just been lost somewhere along the way. Or there was some night of the museum type event. Things came to life. Somebody was brawling with a dinosaur bone. You never know. <laughs> I guess we can put that in the maybe pile. <laughs> <laughs> the authors believe it was probably destroyed in one way or another, but they didn't hazard a guess on how. They don't think that he made it up and they don't think that he intentionally misled people into thinking he had found the biggest dinosaur ever. Some dinosaur hunters did find the original note where Cope described the site of the fossil discovery, and it's a place called Cope's Nipple outside Canyon City in southern Colorado in the U.S. But when they went there, they couldn't find any more Amphicolius fossils there, and it's already been excavated a few times because other dinosaur fossils have been found there. I think the best summary comes from the conclusion section of the paper where they say, Quote, by deciphering the ontogenetic change of Diplodocoidea vertebrae, the science of gigantism, and Cope's own mannerisms, we conclude that the reported size of A. fragilimus is most likely an extreme overestimation. End quote. So if you're ever looking at a paper and they talk about the biggest ever dinosaur and it's this fragilimus that would be 190 feet long, take it with a grain of salt because now you know it just came from one bone and one bone we don't even have anymore and no one's seen in over a hundred years so 
It's a little bit spurious. On a related note, the Titanosaur in the American Museum of Natural History is going on display. And the reason I said the Titanosaur is because they haven't actually given it a scientific name yet. It's going up in the American Museum of Natural History, which is Sabrina and my favorite museum. And it's going to be totally awesome. Actually, it is totally awesome because it went up early January 2016. It's a full-scale replica, 122 feet long of it, and it's an unnamed titanosaur from Argentina. The original fossil was discovered in 2012 in Argentina, and Peter May, president of Research Casting International, explained the process on the American Museum of Natural History website. We're going to play a little clip. We went down to Argentina and we 3D scanned all the bones in the field and in the lab. We had the whole skeleton completely digitized in four weeks. We took the data and then we carved the bones out of slabs of foam with our five-axis milling machine. We molded all the elements once they're carved up. And then we have a complete copy of the skeleton. And from there, we can cast all the elements out of fiberglass. And then the cast gets mounted. Yeah, so it, it was a pretty involved process. It's cool that they used basically 3D printing. It was a little more complex than that because they had to CNC mill it and then they had to mold it and then finally put it all up on display and articulate it and everything. They also had to completely redo the room it was in, right? Yeah, so the room, if you've been to the American Museum of Natural History anytime recently, has a room called the Wallach Orientation Center that's on the fourth floor, kind of next to one of the halls of all the fossils. And it was basically a mostly empty room. There's a little theater, or there was a little theater screen on one side with kind of a preservation-themed video talking about, you know, why it's important to be nice to nature. And then in the middle of the room, there was what a normal person would say is a pretty large dinosaur. <laughs> it was probably like 20 feet long. Um, but this one was like a rubberized, realistic, you know, it wasn't a skeleton. It was a recreation of a dinosaur. I think it was a Borosaurus or something, some kind of sauropod. But in the middle of the room, they had to obviously take that out in order to fit this 122 foot long dinosaur in there. And even with that, its head is still sticking out of the room because it even curling it up a little bit, they couldn't get the whole thing in this orientation center. So pretty cool. They said that even though the replica is made out of relatively light materials, mostly fiberglass, they still needed to add extra steel reinforcement because it had such an extraordinarily long neck and tail. We need to make a trip back to New York sometime soon so we can see this titanosaur. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Next to the news, really quickly, in Glen Rock, Wyoming, specifically the Lance Formation, there's a 66-million-year-old Tyrannosaur fossil trackway that's been found. The study was published on Science Direct, and these tracks were made by either a sub-adult Tyrannosaurus rex or a Nanotyrannosaurus lancensis, based on the age and size of the footprints. The pace length was calculated to be 2.3 to 5 miles per hour, or 4.5 to 8 kilometers per hour. And you can see these tracks if you visit the Paleon Museum in Glenrock, and you can take a short hike to see the prints. The museum's made casts of the prints, and they put them on display to help preserve them, too. And 
lastly, just for fun, listener Luke shared with us via Facebook this awesome illustration of Littlefoot from Land Before Time in an Arlo from the Good Dinosaur costume. <laughs> it's really cute. We'll post that post on our blog so you can see it too. Or if you don't want to wait until we put it on our blog, you can check it out on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash I Know Dino. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College, where you can become a part of the scientific process. As a participant, you can go on a real-life dinosaur dig, and you'll be helping to advance science and our understanding of the ancient world. What's really cool is that the fossilized bones that are being excavated, they're public, and they're going to be displayed and preserved for future generations to study and admire. Yeah, we've mentioned how that's a really important part of the scientific process, not just getting them out and describing them once, but keeping them and preserving them so that future questions and future scientists can take a look at those bones to answer new questions and validate results. And the site is special and also near and dear to me because it's in the Morrison Formation, known for the sauropods, mm -hmm. of course, of the Jurassic time. And it represents one of the best bone beds ever found in the saltwash member. Yeah, the current interpretation is that the site was the result of a Brachiosaurus sort of jamming up a river and then other carcasses piling up behind it. Oh, no. And that's how we got a bunch of different types of dinosaurs all fossilizing together. So, oh, no, but also, yay. <laughs> Good for us as scientists. Mm -hmm. And dinosaur enthusiasts. Yes. So there are two scheduled digs if you want to get involved with getting these bones out of the ground. You can go from July 6th to July 20th or from July 22nd to August 5th. Head over to cncc.edu slash dinodig. You'll get all of the details. Just make sure that you register online by May 31st. And again, that is cncc.edu slash dinodig, D-I-N-O-D-I-G. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. And now we'll just go right into the interview. We're here today with Brad, the host of the Jurassic Park podcast, where you can learn everything there is to know about Jurassic Park and Jurassic World. We definitely recommend checking it out. We've had Brad on the show before, and we're happy to have him again today to talk with us about all the dinosaur media highlights from 2015. So welcome, Brad. Hey, how's it going? Pretty good. Yeah. Good. Good. Yeah, 2015 was pretty crazy for all kinds of uh, dinosaur media stuff. So uh, I'm, I'm happy to talk about it. Great. Yeah, <laughs> we were pretty happy with the amount of stuff that came out last year. Yeah, there was a lot. <laughs> yeah, all of a sudden, I feel like there wasn't too much in the way of dinosaur stuff prior to 2015. And then all of a sudden, it was like a flood of stuff came right to us. So uh, I'm really happy about that, obviously. Me too. I kind of wonder if everybody else planned it around Jurassic World. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're probably you're probably right there because they knew it would be big. I don't think they knew it would be as big as it was, but it's definitely a safe bet to kind of release things alongside Jurassic World. So that was a good choice by everybody. 
Yeah, you can especially tell when everyone tries to work Jurassic into the name of their thing. <laughs> Why are you using Jurassic rather than Cretaceous or Triassic? I wonder. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that that's it's so funny because there there has been so much in the way of toys or different videos or or kids stuff like online. It's you just see the word Jurassic and they almost copy the the font or the logo itself. And it's just clearly they're just trying to rip it off and trying to hope people um, mistake it for Jurassic Park or Jurassic World. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> They've somehow branded an entire period. Yeah, it's it's sort of like the way Indiana Jones represents adventure, and everything that has to do with adventure sort of has that same font, the same you know logo and everything, same sort of music. So same thing goes for Jurassic Park. You know, once once something became a hit like it did, everybody's going to rip off of it. So (laughs) it's a good thing. It's fine, you know, because it's better for us because we end up getting all this awesome stuff. Yeah, that's true. Yep, (laughs) definitely. (laughs) Yeah, 2015 obviously was huge for Jurassic Park because it's been 14 years since a, a new Jurassic movie came out. And the film itself, I really enjoyed it. I know people are are mixed about it, and hopefully they tend to side on the good side nowadays, but uh, we'll see. It, you know, I can't wait to kind of look at this, you know, a few years down the road and see what the what the thought process is about the movie to see if people still appreciate it or they've come to hate it. I don't know. So it, that'll be interesting to see over the years. But for me, I loved it, and it made so much come out of the way uh, in terms of video games and toys and stuff for fans at conventions and everything, especially the gaming. You know, the Jurassic World Lego game came out. That one included all the different films, and from what I've heard, everybody loves the game. There's no really no complaints about it. Oh, yeah, we love um, the games. Was, yeah, it's, it's just <laughs> yeah. so much fun. How could you not love playing in that world? And they make it fun for you. You know, they make it comical which is something the Jurassic Park movies are really not known for too much. I mean, there is some comedy, but it's funny to see how they represent the movies in those games. So I, I think that's pretty awesome. There's also, there was a mobile game for Jurassic World, and that one's been pretty awesome. I know I got a chance to play it until uh, I ran out of space on my phone, then I really couldn't play it anymore. But <laughs> um, And one of the funny things is, I don't know if you guys heard that news, that a young boy ended up spending like, uh, $6,000. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was crazy. That game. That's insane. And, you know, it just goes to show that people really like this game. <laughs> they are addicting. So whether he, you know, he, he got his money back, so it's not a big deal. But that game was really fun. There was also the Jurassic Park arcade game that came out earlier in uh, 2015. I don't know if you guys have gotten a chance to play that. It's usually at like Dave and Buster's or, or it can be any, any kind of local arcade. But Oh, okay. Yeah, we haven't played that one. I didn't see it. That mm-hmm. one's really awesome. It's it's in the similar vein of like the Lost World, the big box, you know, game that you can get in and shoot the guns and everything. Hmm. So that one was really awesome. And I actually on the podcast got to talk to the guys who created the game. So it was really cool to see or to hear about what went into making those games. So that's one of the ones I'd say definitely go find it because uh, it was great. Is yeah. that one where it's like a first-person shooter style or what's the... How, yeah, how exactly. You so you're, you know, you, you're sitting in that booth and you have the gun there and I think it's kind of like a vague time frame. It doesn't exactly tie into the movies, but it does represent some of the the scenes that you'd see within the the movies and it all takes place in the old park so Mm. it takes place 
after the first movie, and it just shows kind of the way that this this group of people collect the dinosaurs and contain them and take them, I don't know, off the island. So hmm. it, it, that was a really cool game. Yeah, yeah, it sounds fun. Yeah, that's one of the things I I like to see is is the, a game that doesn't destroy dinosaurs. I feel like a lot of, you know, shooter games end up just killing all dinosaurs. Yeah, like Turok. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it it's not always fun when you're just destroying them. I kind of like to... To not destroy him. So that's why I like that game a lot. Nice. <laughs> Jurassic World also brought a lot of toys. Now, I don't know if you guys are into collecting or anything. Um, did you happen to pick up any toys from the, the movie there? We didn't get any of the... We thought about getting the collector edition of the Jurassic World that came with the Indominus Rex and the T-Rex, but we yeah. ended up getting the regular tin case thing. yeah yeah those things are really cool too for when it comes to toys it was kind of not a collector's year really mm -hmm. so if, if people are looking to collect items it's not really that great because some of the the toys were, were really hated upon most of the fans mm -hmm. so i'm sure some of your listeners maybe have some of these toys they could be disappointed with them because the nature of the old toys they were so good and and so much fun to play with but hopefully hasbro picks it up I think they just didn't realize how big the movie would be. What, mm. So what about the toys? Was it that they didn't like? It was just not as realistic? Too simple or, or something? It, yeah, they're, they're very simple. They The sculpts are not up to par. Um, mm. There's a lot of disconnected pieces, like the jaw on like the T-Rex. It's very disconnected looking. The paint jobs weren't very good. Just really odd color choices. There was a lot of screw holes in hmm. the dinosaurs themselves. So that's something you didn't really see a lot of in the old toys because of, I guess, whatever material they were made out of. More, They were more like rubbery, but the new ones now are like a hard plastic and they have all these screw holes all over them. So it kind of takes away from the, you know, yeah. your imagination, I guess, when you see these screw holes all over the place. Yeah, that's not great. Just speaking yeah. of toys real quick, have you seen the Toy Story mini? It's like about 30 minute long. What was that yeah. called again? Oh, the land that time forgot. Exactly. But yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know if I caught it recently. I saw it a little while back. Isn't that like a Halloween special or something? Yeah, it was a couple months ago. Uh, it was, uh, yeah, some kind of holiday special because they had just gotten a bunch of new toys for Christmas, I think. And then... Yeah, the, that, that thing was a lot of fun. Was, yeah. Uh, there, there were like some lizard creatures and stuff like that, right? And they were just like <laughs> <laughs> trying to destroy the uh, familiar Toy Story gang. Yes. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. We got some cool dinosaurs that are pretty realistic. Where did those come from? Uh, Safari Limited. Are they Limited. probably the Papo ones? Or? No, I think it was Safari Limited. And there was a university. I want to say Carnegie. Carnegie. Yeah. They teamed up and then made these really accurate. and to like scale. Yeah, to scale dinosaurs. And it was like you were saying, they're all rubber style so they were, they're molded and they're painted really well. Yeah, they were actually the yeah. centerpieces for our wedding. Yeah. <laughs> oh, awesome. <laughs> yeah, we assigned people by dinosaur table. <laughs> That's really cool. <laughs> yeah, you got to assume everybody knows what dinosaur to go to, right? <laughs> well, they didn't, so we also had to give numbers. Yeah, but... <laughs> we backed it up with numbers afterwards. We were going to do dinosaurs, and we're like, they're labeled, they can figure it out. And then we realized <laughs> some people might not be able to figure Most it out. Most people. That's awesome. Yeah, I got to check those toys out. Um, one of the ones that people have really loved this past year are the the Papo uh, figures. Um, I think they they sell them at like Toys R Us and everything. But they're basically sort of 
like the the representation from the Jurassic Park movies, but mm. they're they're not affiliated in any way. Uh, they have different paint schemes, but they are really really high quality. Nice. So if you want to go pick up some sort of collector's item or a toy just to play with, those things are really awesome and probably better than the Jurassic World series that came out. Mm. Mm. Cool. Good to know. Yeah, I think I think one of the things people also hated was the fact there was no humans. There was just just dinosaurs. So. Mm. Uh, you know, everybody used to love playing with the human figures. So uh, it was kind of a shame to see him not, you know, put into this line. Yeah, that's surprising considering how big, well, I yeah. guess if they didn't think it would be as big. Yeah, that that was the problem overall, I think. And it actually ties into the theme parks as well. I don't know. Have you ever have you ever gone to the Islands of Adventure in uh, Orlando? Yes. Oh, I haven't. Oh, <laughs> Sabrina hasn't. I have. <laughs> That place is awesome. I actually just came back uh, in December from there. Oh, I saw and, your pictures. Uh, they, yeah. Yeah. They, <laughs> they, it's so cool. They have the entire Jurassic Park area, uh, a few different rides and everything. But I think one of the, the entire mess ups that they had with Jurassic World was, you know, not projecting how big it was going to be, even for their theme parks. They actually had a plot of land that could have fit another ride, but instead they added King Kong into that area <laughs> just in, in 2015 i think they started building it and uh it's kind of a shame because with how well this movie did it would have been a perfect spot for a new ride to go and i, I really think it, it messed up the idea of that park because it's separated into different lands and jurassic park is one of those lands one of those islands so all of a sudden you're walking through jurassic park and then there's a king kong ride so it's <laughs> it's a very interesting take and i think the the studio didn't realize how big the movie would be you know, so unfortunately that happened, but it did, they did kind of pick up the slack. There was, um, a Raptor encounter. I'm sure you guys have seen that thing oh, floating yeah. around. They, they, uh, they had that awesome encounter. So you go in and you stand in line to meet the Raptor and you can take some pictures with it. And it's really cool. Cause there's actually somebody like within the costume. So nah. they're, you know, they're diving at you as you're sitting there taking a picture with them. They're, they're kind of sniffing you. It's pretty cool. That'd be a it's fun an awesome job. Experience. And, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's gotta be so much fun. And, uh, they have like a park ranger who's kind of modeled after like a mix between Dr. Alan Grant and Owen Grady from the movies. So it's, it's pretty cool to see that. And then they actually toured that thing around. I think it's gone to um it went to one of the conventions uh san diego comic-con i believe it was hmm. and you know that's a huge experience for fans in jurassic park kind of hasn't been too well noticed there recently but this year was awesome they actually had like that raptor encounter there they had the giant park gates so really wow. 2015 was the year for jurassic world fans and jurassic park fans so i think Pretty much that sums up everything for Jurassic there. So that that was an awesome time, and uh, I can't wait to see it continue this year. That's really cool. Now yeah. I want to go to Orlando. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the we had um, one of those guys in a dinosaur suit at our wedding too. Actually, in a, well, oh really? It was supposed to be a juvenile T Rex, I think. So it was a little bit bigger than his name was Duncan. Yeah. <laughs> and his name was Duncan and they put a lot of time and effort into building this animatronic head for him. Oh wow. And it was really cool. 
it's kind of funny because they they've got this very realistic looking head, but then you also see the guy's legs in like black leggings alongside the T Rex legs. <laughs> yeah, and the, the little shoes that are like big T Rex feet. And we we loved yeah. it. All the adults loved it, but all the kids cried instantly when They're they really saw. Really afraid. <laughs> yeah, they told us because it was at a zoo, and they had this for other things that they did at the zoo. They said that originally kids were terrified, so they changed its mouth to make it look more like it was smiling, and then it helped a little bit. Okay, but, yeah, yeah, I could see that. It was really cool. I was lucky. Sabrina went to go do her wardrobe change and they came and got me and they said like, oh, you're really into dinosaurs? I was like, yeah. They're like, do you want to try on one of these? And I was like, yes. So I got to go get into a Parasar Olifus and like move it around a little bit. Yeah. You said there were cameras. Yeah. There's like a little camera through its face and then this one could sneeze. So there was like a little spray bottle. You could like squirt out the front and like little armatures for its body. That thing's pretty awesome. I got to see this thing in action. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think, you know, it's been a year for that kind of stuff as well. You know, it's, it's so cool to see, you know, different touring companies going around. Like, this is just walking with dinosaurs, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That's Um, a great show. It's so, it's so awesome to see this stuff, you know, taking over and and being really, really good and, and high quality. And, uh, they actually, they just announced one for Jurassic World happening, I think this year sometime hmm. in australia so eventually it'll tour around but it's kind of like uh i don't know if it's like walking with dinosaurs but there is some dinosaurs that move around and everything and it, there is some sort of exhibit to go along with it so that's really cool to see this stuff being announced definitely yeah i think that one opens up in march yeah i know it's coming up soon so cool yeah yeah i think aside from jurassic park there was another awesome movie the good dinosaur i'm sure you guys definitely saw I don't think we really got to talk about it too much, but I know I loved it. I thought it was a really, really fun movie. Yeah, fun and really pretty. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I thought it was okay. I wasn't as <laughs> thrilled with it. It was it was good. I mean, but I think my expectations were really high since it was a Pixar movie and dinosaurs. And I think yeah. actually I liked Jurassic World a little bit better than I liked The Good Dinosaur, yeah. which was surprising to me because I figured... Pixar yeah, is so, that so much. Yeah. yeah. They have so much going for them. And uh, I, I know there was a lot of issues behind the scene with that movie. Yeah. Um, so that's probably where the disconnect happened, where, where it didn't turn out the way they had hoped, I guess. Yeah. I think when we talked a little bit about it, I had said, I think it was maybe a little bit oversimplified. And then mm-hmm. Sabrina had found out that originally their script was super complicated. It's three storylines. Yeah. And they couldn't figure out a way to wrap it up all in the end. And then they changed directors and that's when they scrapped it all. Yeah. And they changed all the actors too and everything. And I think they just went for an oversimplified approach, which is great for kids. I think for kids, it's like an excellent movie. Kids that see that movie now will probably feel the same way that Sabrina and I feel about Land Before Time now. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) But... You know, being an adult and seeing it, it wasn't like a typical Pixar movie where there was lots of little hidden jokes and stuff like that for adults because there was so little dialogue. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's that's one of the takeaways I found. It, it, it was more just geared towards kids and and I didn't have a problem with it. I really enjoyed it, but it didn't have that second story where, you know, as, as an adult, you can kind of appreciate certain aspects. Yeah. Um, and definitely it was a little too goofy at times. I think like they had that styracosaurus scene and nothing really came of it. It was just like a two second scene. It was too goofy for me. Yeah. And sort of the same goes with the 
were they pteranodons or, or pterodactyls of some sort? Yeah, um, something. They were really goofy. Uh, at least one of them. They they, yeah. they really rem- reminded me of the the hyenas from the Lion King. <laughs> oh, that's a good. <laughs> that's point. true. They were a lot. You know, like they were that. they were very similar. They had the one that was like crazy, and the other two, I guess, were more sane. But um, that that was one of the things that took me out of it for a minute because I didn't really grab onto those characters. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah. A lot but of you stuff said, like that. Like you said, though, the movie was beautiful, and it actually. I've seen tons of awesome artwork floating around. I actually have two pieces on my wall here. There's some really awesome toys that were out. There's uh, some really good ones within the, the Disney store itself. I think they have different ones in, like, say, Target yeah. versus the Disney store. So. There's some really cool Arlo's. There's, like, a pillow, oh, yeah. and then there's, <laughs> like, the regular different sizes of the stuffed animal and, like, plastic ones mm-hmm. and everything. Yeah, I, I thought it was a really, really awesome effort and even better than the Jurassic World toys. They, they were just really good quality and I really enjoyed them. I actually, every time I'd go to the store, they'd all be like sold out. There would be, that would be just a completely empty section. So it's, it's funny to see that the good dinosaur really didn't do well financially. Yeah. But that does make you wonder maybe what they didn't get in movie sales. They can make up a little bit in merchandise. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm hoping because I don't want this to be a complete failure. You know, yeah, that would be either. a shame. It's already looked at as like the worst Pixar movie, and uh, you know that's yeah. a shame. Mm-hmm. I and mean, it's it's kind of putting it down a little too much. But you know, like I said, it was it was a good film, awesome toys, great artwork, and uh, there wasn't really too much representation within Disney's. I was just there, and uh, there wasn't too much. There was some toys here and there, but within the parks, there wasn't wasn't much to say really. Interesting. I. I noticed on Disney's blog, they posted a few things of like, hey, here are some dinosaur things we already have in our parks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, we're not going to do anything for good dinosaur, but... <laughs> but we already had some stuff. <laughs> check out this thing that's yeah. 70 years old. <laughs> if you like dinosaurs, come check out all the old things we've had here for so long. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, some of this stuff has been around there forever. There's a good representation of dinosaurs in those parks. Obviously, the the full ride for dinosaurs is great. They have that uh, Ellen energy adventure thing that you you, you go through the dinosaur scene. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a dinosaur on the lake there, Gertie in uh, Hollywood oh. Studios. Is that where you can buy the ice cream? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, there's a few other things I think I'm missing, but it is a really good place for dinosaurs. I'm, I'm really surprised about that because nothing about Disney makes you think dinosaurs. That's true. <laughs> yeah. So, I was hoping that this movie would help turn that around, but it, uh, it's not looking too optimistic. You know, what I'm really hoping is maybe DVD sales will kind of boost it. Yeah. Could be. We found out that's not, the good dinosaur hasn't been released in theaters in all countries yet, I guess. That's true. Yeah. Really? Uh, Singapore and Hong Kong. <laughs> yeah. So we were over, uh, visiting some family overseas there in like Southeast Asia, basically. And one of our relatives said like, are you guys going to see the good dinosaur? He's like 10 when it comes out. And we're like, yeah, we saw it like a month ago. And his, his jaw drops. Yeah. What? <laughs> you guys got special sneak peeks? Because yeah. I think it doesn't come out till like February over there. Wow. Mm-hmm. So. Wow. Hmm. I don't that's, know if they're going to really do strange. anything. They probably don't usually rework it at all. No, yeah, I can't see that happening. Yeah. They, they already put so much work into it. And I'm really surprised that it even hit the screen knowing all the issues they had <laughs> behind the scenes. That's true. <laughs> yep, yeah. They made it work. That reminds me, though, we were talking a little bit about scientific accuracy of Jurassic Park on your podcast. 
And in The Good Dinosaur is kind of funny because that was like the least scientifically accurate <laughs> dinosaur portrayal I've seen maybe ever. So, yeah, <laughs> so really, if you compare The Good Dinosaur and Jurassic Park or Jurassic World that way, Jurassic World is doing a phenomenal job with accuracy. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I think in the same way that Jurassic World dispelled that they're just theme park monsters, they're not dinosaurs. I think the good dinosaur did the same thing in a way by, you know, you saw the meteor kind of like fly by earth. <laughs> so it didn't, it didn't actually happen. But then it was like, I think it was an unspecified amount of time. Yeah. I think it just said like millions of years yeah. without really mm -hmm. being Yeah, there was no direct date. So it could be now today and dinosaurs obviously would evolve, right? Yeah. So I don't know. I Maybe they'd become farmers. <laughs> it's possible, right? I mean... <laughs> It doesn't it doesn't describe, you know, all the outrage that people have had about the evolution of these dinosaurs. But I'm willing to look past any of those things because the movie was so beautiful. Mm -hmm. I kind of like the difference between the cartoony dinosaurs and the, the amazing backdrops. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They spent a lot of time on the background the landscape and they even built a whole database of clouds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they did some really awesome work. It just looked amazing. Like the every mountain sequence looked insane. The clouds looked amazing. And even more so, the water looked incredible. Mm -hmm. And they had that whole sequence in the water and they really had to make it look awesome. And they did a, an amazing job. So I think people should give this one a second chance, really. Yeah, I think as far as kids movies go, it's a lot better than most of the movies out there. And definitely as far yeah. as dinosaur kids movies goes, it's in the top five or so. Yeah, I think just yeah. the main reason it probably got so much flack is because it was Pixar. So people were really like, high yeah. expectations are never good for you when you're trying to make a movie. Yeah. And <laughs> I think Jurassic World was surprised people with how good it was, too. So seeing the good dinosaur yeah. shortly afterwards, probably. Yeah, uh, maybe maybe people were just let down because it was Pixar, like you said, and because Jurassic World really did insane amounts of money. Yeah. So really any amount it took in was going to be a disappointment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And especially Inside Out came out this year. Mm -hmm. And oh, yeah. that's being widely looked upon as like one of their best movies. Yeah, we so, loved that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, it was it was really emotional, really good. And The Good Dinosaur had some of those qualities, but not not all of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, but, I, you know, I, I really wonder how we would think it would be if we had seen like The Land Before Time and The Good Dinosaur at the same time. Yeah, yeah, it's really hard to tell. It's kind of like yeah. when you talk to kids about Star Wars movies and they say their favorite movie is episode one because they love Jar Jar and all that stuff. And, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and everybody else yeah. is like, what are you talking about? That's the most awful thing. But it, <laughs> it just depends on what age you are when you see it. Yeah, really. I think, you know, you said it before, the good dinosaur could be the land before time for kids today. Yeah. So hopefully it is. I, I'm really excited for that prospect. Yeah. And I think you guys mentioned it just recently, the land before time and we're back, a dinosaur story we released on Blu-ray. So that's, that's really cool. And, uh, you know, sometimes movies take forever to get on Blu-ray and these two are one of them, you know, they, <laughs> they took forever for some reason. Um, have, did you get a, a chance to pick any of them up? We just got them like two days ago. <laughs> actually oh, wow. somebody pointed out to us that they were released and then we immediately them. went to buy them yeah. Right away. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah i uh i didn't get a chance to pick them up yet but from what i've heard you know obviously it's going to be good looking it's going to be a lot better quality you know i think it helps 
people notice a little bit more flaws when it's in high definition, mm-hmm. you know, something that wasn't really meant for high definition yeah. in these, both of these movies. I'm really looking forward to them because I'm used to seeing it on like a, a tiny screen when I was younger. So mm-hmm. I'd, lo- I'd love to put that back in my, my uh, DVD player. Or VHS and then watch yeah, it exactly. so many times <laughs> that you lose a lot of the quality. Yeah. yeah. I'm especially interested to see, you might see more of the like details of the actual drawings, mm. but that could be kind of cool actually in like an artistic way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, either way, I think it's great, you know, whether you see these flaws or not, it's, it's awesome to have these, you know, on a good quality DVD that you can throw in your player anytime. So I'm really looking forward to getting them. Yeah. They were pretty cheap. I was actually surprised. I think they were only like 10 bucks a piece, weren't they? Yeah. Around that. Yeah, I guess they would be really cheap because, you know, kids don't really know what they are, to be honest. Yeah, and <laughs> Disney true. doesn't own them, so they don't do that annoying thing where they're like... In the vault. Yeah, it's out for no, one yeah, year yeah. and then it goes away again. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, maybe kids know with the land before time because isn't there like 20 of them or something? <laughs> oh, gosh, yeah, but only I the first like, one's good. <laughs> yeah, I think there's one coming out this year, isn't there? Uh, oh, really? They're still going? Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty positive there's one actually coming out this year. I wonder if any of them are good. I think I've seen maybe on and off like within the first six. And I saw the mm-hmm. first 14. They oh, were, wow. That's... Were two through 14 all bad? Yeah, well, two was okay. And then after that, she was downhill. My mom knew I liked dinosaurs and she knew I really liked Land Before Time. So for uh, every year at Christmas, I got a new one. In the sequence. (laughs) If they're coming out like clockwork like that, it's probably not a good sign. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, they're just like throwing them out on DVD. (laughs) I honestly didn't know they went like so high. I I didn't realize that they were still making them until recently. So yeah, uh, it'd be interesting to go back and watch them all. (laughs) That's, yeah, that's a lot. The first one's available on Netflix too for streaming. Yeah. Is it really? I thought I looked for it. I didn't see it. Oh, maybe it got taken away. Pretty sure it might have been. Yeah, it might have gotten taken off recently. I think a lot of stuff got taken yeah, down. Yeah, that happens. Uh, because I looked for it and it wasn't there. Oh, that's too there, bad. Yeah, I actually did look through Netflix. There's not like a ton of great content, really. There's a few documentaries. I think Dinosaur Thirteen is on there. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's there's stuff like that, but there's really not too much in between. Some kitty things, I think, here and there, but yeah, Netflix can be a little hit or miss sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's that stuff, and then there's like the the sci-fi movies, like you know, really, really low budget, really low quality, <laughs> terrible something or other versus something else. So, yeah, we watched a weird one, didn't we? Where they like landed on an island. That's what it was. They were in either South America or Africa, and they were like going down a river, and they were going to document some old village, and then it turned out there were dinosaurs there attacking everybody. It was like a weird low budget Jurassic Park. Oh, really? Yeah. Meets Blair Witch. Well, like the oh, second cool. Jurassic Park where they were going onto an island and like. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. But it was, <laughs> it had the same feel as those like made for sci fi channel movies. I don't know if you exactly. ever watched any of those like Sharknado <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> That's, you know, I'm willing to check out any of these movies because who knows? There might be some sort of laughable awesomeness to it that, yeah. that makes it kind of good, you know? Yeah. That's true. We this movie a lot. was kind of like that. <laughs> And they were putting, there was a guy and he had one dinosaur that liked him and he strapped a camera to its head. So there was like this dinosaur POV thing and it's like running around and stuff. 
Well, so that's exactly like Jurassic World. Then you know they uh, put the cams on the side of yeah. the raptor's head. So yep. I could see it. They're trying. They're trying to tie in. You know. I think works. Jurassic World stole it. <laughs> it's very possible. <laughs> I didn't get a chance to do it yet, but did you check out the Back to Dinosaur Island VR experience? Oh, so I just ordered the Oculus Rift. Oh wow! It, awesome. I couldn't resist. Yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, it's it's that stuff's amazing. I I only have the um the Google cardboard. Yeah, uh, I don't know if you've seen that. That thing's really cool too. Even can you um, see the? Can you watch that video on Google cardboard? I believe you can, but okay. I have an iPhone, and I don't think the iOS version of YouTube. Because I, I think you can find that video on YouTube. Hmm. Um, but the iOS version doesn't have the ability to to do the split screen. Oh. So I guess if you have the Android version, it actually has like a button you can press mm-hmm. to to do the split screen. So I can't do it. So I didn't even bother. Yeah, but. we just watched we watched it on YouTube too and saw like the one perspective the whole time. It yeah. looked pretty cool. And mm-hmm. there are a couple other games too that are coming out with some of that VR support, which is why I wanted that Oculus so bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that <laughs> I, I can't believe it. it. You know, it's like 100% the future. You know, now I think there's CES going on right now and they're mm-hmm. presenting all these amazing technological advancements and, and gaming is one of the biggest ones. And it's really interesting to see where it's going. Yeah, that's going to be fun. There's lots of and there's a couple other dinosaur game. What was the one? Ark Survival Evolved, I think it's called. And mm-hmm. it's kind of like the one you're talking about where they're trying to capture dinosaurs a little bit. Yeah. But this one's more of like a massively multiplayer online thing. Maybe not massively multiplayer. I think it's like 50 people at a time. But you can (laughs) go to your dinosaur. You can go find dinosaurs and you can either hunt them or you can try to domesticate them. And certain ones you can ride around on and stuff. And that game supports VR, which was the real thing that sold me on it. I was like, I got to play that game in VR. (laughs) That's pretty awesome. So you, you're going to get it to work with uh, the Oculus Rift, right? Yeah. And then just ride a dinosaur in our living room. <laughs> yeah, all day. <laughs> Sabrina will be That's like, awesome. yank it off my head. Like, you haven't eaten. You've only pretended <laughs> to eat in the game. You don't know what reality <laughs> is anymore. Uh, uh, you know, VR is hilarious to watch from the outside. If you're yeah. not the one doing it and you're the one watching the other person, it's pretty hilarious. So yeah. I can imagine riding a dinosaur would be you know really comical so definitely have like a video camera ready when he searched that's a good idea we're gonna have to do that i saw (laughs) there was a great one of people on like a roller coaster and how they like panic (laughs) and i can't imagine what it's going to be like because in that game things like t-rex or whatever will come roaring out at you i'm going to be like walking through the woods or like maybe riding a little gallimimus or something that a t-rex is going to come out and i'm going to like fall down into the couch and I think it would injured. honestly scare you. Like, it would be pretty terrifying. <laughs> oh, yeah. Did you guys hear about the, uh, it maybe not too similar, but computer game uh, Mesozoica? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, I, I got to talk to somebody who uh, who made that game. And, you know, it's still in process. And uh, I think there's been a few issues behind the scene, but not too bad. But um, that game looks pretty cool as well. So that that's like a, a more of a theme park simulator. So it's got all kinds of containment. And you can basically pick what your dinosaurs look like, you know, in a way, you know, so if you want them to have feathers or if you don't, you know, it's up to you. <laughs> That's cool. Nice. Wasn't that on Kickstarter? I believe it was. 
Yeah. I think they did a lot of work first before Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. And then they they did a Kickstarter, I think, to kind of raise even more money to make it even better. So uh, it's still in the process of coming out. And I think if you go to their Facebook, you can like look at the updates and everything as it goes along. So I'm I'm really interested to see what happens with that. Yeah, that one will be cool too. Yeah. Lots of good dinosaur games coming out. And like we were talking about, it's really nice to see these games where it's not just shooting dinosaurs all the time and it's a little more interactive, maybe a theme park or you're trying to domesticate them or even just capture them or whatever, but yeah. rather than just shooting them and them trying to eat you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I like that aspect of it. Actually, speaking of that Jurassic Park arcade, now there is an aspect where you are shooting the dinosaurs because there is a gun in front of you and you do have to fend them off, but they actually have like interesting guns. Like there's like a freeze ray. There's a, I don't even know. There's all kinds of crazy projectiles. So it's a really cool uh, way to look at it, I guess. So hopefully, you know, you don't kill too many dinosaurs in the process of freezing yeah. them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's funny. But really, 2015 was pretty awesome. It was a great year. 2016 has a, a lot to live up to. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm already expecting there to be a bunch of dinosaur discoveries, so. <laughs> yeah. And I'm glad oh, that the sure. Jurassic World series is ongoing, too, because I think that helps to maintain the the whole world's interest in dinosaurs. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we have to wait until 2018. I know. So it's going to be... Long and brutal. I wish they know? did it like Star Wars where they had some spinoffs in between. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I, I That's what I'm hoping we get some sort of announcement of like at least a comic book or, or a, you know, a Netflix show would be amazing. I don't think it's going to happen, but mm-hmm. something like that would be really cool. Yeah, that would be good. But 2018, that's going to be a long time. <laughs> so I'm hoping maybe we get some sort of director announcement or maybe some sort of plot some sort, you know, announced. That'd be great, but it's going to be a long lull of news and information. So hopefully we get some good games. Like you said, all these games are going to be coming out. So that'll keep us busy. Yeah, they could do a cool in-between game. Sometimes they do that with movies. They put a game that bridges the gap of what Mm -hmm. happened in between the movies. Mm -hmm. That'd be a lot of fun. That would be. I mean, there was that concept art and and a little bit of footage that popped up some, some point last year was like a little bit of Chris Pratt running and I think some some dinosaur artwork and stuff like that. It was supposed to get released, but it never did. So maybe they can use those models for a game that's set somewhere. Maybe mm-hmm. for Jurassic World, after Jurassic World, hopefully something. Yeah, yeah they could do... Oh, oh, The Matrix, that's what I was thinking of. Where they had the Animatrix too oh, yeah. in between <laughs> that was hugely popular. Just yeah. Because like it, it's obviously difficult to do a big budget high cgi level thing all the time but well, they could do like a hand-drawn version. star wars did an animated series yeah, they did too. too yeah yeah star star wars is a good model they have yeah they they have currently an animated series they had the clone wars now they have rebels mm-hmm. they've done um, yeah. they have comics everywhere all kinds of comics they've got like 10 video Books. games <laughs> oh yeah they've got everything on all cylinders just going like 100 miles an hour the whole time everything is working right and uh, the same kind of goes for like Marvel. Yeah. You know, they have mm-hmm. the comics don't tie in with with the movie series or or anything, but there is the TV shows. Mm-hmm. You know, they have some on Netflix, they have some on ABC. So I'm hoping Jurassic Park gets that same treatment because yeah. let's face it, it is you know as as after Star Wars beat it, it is the number two movie from last year. 
And it's, I think it was just passed probably right around now for the number three spot all time. Wow. So wow. do you know what the money is? Four. Do you know around what the money is? I remember it being like 500 million from opening week or so. Well, for, for Jurassic World, like what yeah. is that now? Yeah. Any idea? It's at like 1.6 oh, mil, uh, billion dollars. Yeah. It's just sitting there. And uh, it was in number three for a long time. It couldn't come close to Titanic or Avatar. Uh, I think <laughs> Titanic's like 2.1 or something like that. And Avatar's like 2.7 or 6. Maybe they should so. get James Cameron to direct the next one. He should, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's, he's too busy. He's like working on three avatars. As <laughs> so... Uh, oh, so man. that yeah, that's gonna that's gonna keep him busy. That's it's, awesome. It's really man. awesome to have the number four movie that we can say now. So uh, hopefully they they pay attention to those figures and and do the do the better thing next time around with better toys, better games, everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and maybe do some of that in between stuff. That would be awesome. Yeah, mm -hmm. that would be really cool. Here's hoping, but uh, I'm not sure. I don't really bank on Universal too much. They don't really do things like that too much. So yeah, Disney is the all time leader in multinational conglomerate marketing and <laughs> yeah yeah exactly it's all them if, if only uh it had come out with them originally but it's a universal <laughs> project there so it's it's all on them to do the theme park tie-ins and the comics and the everything else the tv series so hopefully we'll get something yeah well thanks so much for taking the time to be on our show today yeah no problem it was fun yeah Always fun to do crossover episodes with you. So. Yeah. <laughs> oh, definitely. Yeah, I, I really like it. Actually, that's one of the, the best things, I think, of 2015 was meeting everybody. And, you know, like podcasts like yours and mine and, and meeting everybody through Twitter and other areas and, and Instagram, Facebook. It's really been cool meeting so many awesome people in 2015. Oh, so. absolutely. Yeah. 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 So hopefully we get to do this again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> So if people want to find you on the interwebs, where should they go and what all are you, where are you available? Well, I do most of my work over on Twitter. So that's at Jurassic Park Pod. You can email us JurassicParkPod at gmail.com. Um, and we tend to read everybody's emails on the show. If, so if you have any questions or anything about the movies or, or anything else revolving Jurassic Park or Jurassic World, send them over. And I mean, really, that's it. You can find us on iTunes. Uh, we're on Stitcher, uh, Podomatic, YouTube. So uh, you can find us everywhere, really. But Twitter's our main hub. So definitely go check us out over there. Awesome. Great. And we definitely recommend that you do. Yeah. That's a great podcast. With, uh, Thanks, guys. It's <laughs> higher production really values than we have. <laughs> I want to try to get some of the, you know, cool sound effects and everything like you do on yours and ours. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm still learning. <laughs> 2016 <laughs> goals. Yeah. Yeah. It, it makes the show much more fun. So uh, yeah. I like uh, all the listeners love that aspect of it. So, yeah, we got to step up our game. Try to get, <laughs> get to your level. <laughs> cool. Thanks, guys. Yeah. All thanks. Right. Just want to say thanks again, Brad, for that lovely chat. We really enjoy our dinosaur discussions. Yeah. Crossovers are fun. <laughs> So now on to our dinosaur of the day, Eoraptor, which was a request from Jill via Patreon. Thank you, Jill. And just wanted to quickly shout out thanks to all of our patrons on Patreon. And if you enjoy listening to I Know Dino and you'd like to support our podcast, then please 
visit our page at patreon.com slash inodino. So Eoraptor, the name means Dawn Plunderer. And the eel part refers to Dawn because it's one of the earliest dinosaurs, and the raptor refers to its grasping hand. It's not actually a raptor. It's not related to Velociraptor or Dromaeosaurs. The only thing they have in common is having raptor in the name. And this species is Eoraptor lunensis. So the species name means moon inhabitant, and that name is based on it being found in the Valle de la Luna, which looks like a lunar landscape. And this is in Argentina. So Eoraptor is one of the earliest dinosaurs. It lived in the Jurassic in western Gondwana, which is now Argentina. It was first described in 1993 and at the time was thought to be the earliest known dinosaur. And this is partly because of its more primitive features. But it kind of lost that title. In 2013, there was a new dinosaur that was formally described, Neosaurus from Tanzania, that's believed to be 12 million years older than Eoraptor. Eoraptor's bones were first found in 1991 by Ricardo Martinez, a paleontologist from the University of San Juan, and it took 12 months to collect the holotype. Then it was prepared at the Field Museum of Natural History in Chicago, and it was first put on display in Chicago, and then it was sent back to San Juan, Argentina, where it went on display at the Museum of Natural Sciences there. So what happened was Paul Serrano and Alfredo Moneta, who's from the National University of San Juan, they both led a team to search for fossils in Argentina back in 1991. They went for five weeks without finding anything, and then Ricardo Martinez happened to spot an eoraptor tooth. And they started digging a little bit, and there ended up also being a skull and a mostly complete skeleton. So Paul Serrano and colleagues, including Forrester Rogers and Moneta, named eoraptor in 1993. When it was first described, they thought it was a theropod based on its hand and a few other features, but then there was this debate over whether it was actually a basal saurischian or a basal theropod. In 1997, Phil Curry said it was closer to a saurischian and ornithischian. And then in 2011, there was a team that found it to be a basal sauropodomorph. So in 2013, Serrano and others re-described Eoraptor and said that it was a basal sauropodomorph. So what changed? Well, again, it re- originally it was considered to be a theropod because it has this narrow build and it was bipedal. But then another dinosaur that lived in the same area at the same time was discovered in 2011. This is Eodromaeus. And this discovery convinced scientists that Eoraptor was a sauropodomorph because it has some of its teeth suited for eating plants. It actually has some teeth also suited for eating meat, which is why there was this confusion. But Eodromaeus had only sharp teeth, and it's considered to be one of or the earliest theropod. And Eoraptor, which was more ambiguous for the theropod or Saurischian or whatever, they thought, okay, instead of being the common ancestor for all dinosaurs, Eodromaeus is one of the earliest theropods, and Eoraptor is a common ancestor for other types of dinosaurs. So, they lived at the same time. Eodromaeus is a carnivorous theropod, Eoraptor is an omnivore. They looked similar, though, and were very similar in size, and all early dinosaurs kind of looked similar. And then, you know, eventually they developed into sauropods, theropods, and ornithischians such as stegosaurs and chylosaurs and ceratopsians. So Paul Serrano said, quote, what can I say? I was young when somebody asked him about how he mistook 
you were after for a theropod. And he also said that, quote, if you were transported back 230 million years and you turned your head as they ran by, you would be really hard pressed to tell them apart. The differences at the root of the dinosaur family tree are really subtle, end quote. Yeah, it kind of makes sense. A lot of this taxonomy stuff is pretty difficult to tell, especially when you're working with incomplete skeletons, that you could make that kind of a mistake, especially with it having a lot of behavior that we associate with theropods a lot of the time. Yeah. And if that's one of the only dinosaurs you know from that area in that time, too. Yeah. So, Eoraptor was pretty small. It was 3.3 feet or 1 meters long, and it was light. It was ground-dwelling. Again, it was bipedal. It weighed about 22 pounds or 10 kilograms, and it was a fast runner. It was probably omnivorous, definitely not the apex predator of its habitat, in addition to, of course, Eodromaeus, which is the theropod, it lived among many archosaurs. And the Triassic, this is kind of the beginning of dinosaurs, and there's still a bunch of other kinds of fierce animals that are much bigger. There's also another dinosaur in the area called Herrerasaurus. A lot of Herrerasaurus bones have been found, and it was a predator that may have eaten Eoraptor. So Eoraptor was probably middle or bottom of the food chain. <laughs> Eor well, bottom if he was eating somebody else. Oh, that's true. Towards the bottom. Eoraptor had a kink in its upper jaw. Again, it was omnivorous. What's interesting is some of its teeth were leaf-shaped, which were meant for eating plants, and some of its teeth were curved and saw-edged, but it didn't have this sliding joint in its lower jaw that would have allowed it to hold large prey in its mouth. So it would have gone for small prey like insects or lizards. It had five digits on each hand, and the three longest digits on each of its hands had large claws. This is probably for catching prey. And the fourth and fifth digits were too small to be used for hunting or for anything, really. Hmm. So it could have used its claws and its teeth to tear apart its prey. Also interesting is that later dinosaurs tended to have fewer digits or fingers. For example, T-Rex only had two. Yeah, we don't talk too much about dinosaurs having five-fingered hands. Mm-hmm. Eoraptor's forelimbs were half the length of its hind limbs, and it had really large eye sockets, at least the ones scientists have found. So some scientists think that the bones were actually of juveniles. Other evidence of this is some of the skull bones that they found were not fully fused together. Eoraptor lived in a volcanically active floodplain with forests. It was warm and humid and had strong seasonal rains. If you'd like, you can see Eoraptor in the documentary Dinosaur Revolution, where an Eoraptor saves a female Eoraptor from a Saurosuchus, and then they start a family. Not, not to spoil things. <laughs> yeah, spoiler alert. <laughs> and our fun fact of the day comes courtesy of a friend of ours who gave us their copy of Cinefex from August 1993. And if you're not familiar, Cinefex is a magazine published bi-monthly which goes into depth about different cinematic effects. So now it's a lot of CGI, but back then it had other cool stuff in it like puppets. Jurassic Park was the main topic in this issue. We're a huge fan of puppets. Yeah, we really like puppets. <laughs> puppets and dinosaurs, so Jurassic Park is obviously right up there. Mm -hmm. In the Cinefex issue, they have a great quote that I just want to read. It says, quote, 
To demonstrate his interest in the project, character creator Stan Winston provided Spielberg's Amblin Entertainment with detailed pencil drawings of the dinosaurs by Mark Crash McCreary. Using ostrich photographs as reference, McCreary sketches the similarly configured Gallimimuses and a Tyrannosaurus rex. The T-Rex and all dinosaurs were to be presented as warm-blooded, agile, and fast-moving creatures, a reflection of the latest scientific evidence, end quote. And then later, Sam Winston Studio was selected as the effects provider for the full-scale dinosaurs. So in Jurassic World, there's a little restaurant, and it's named Winston's. It's in reference to Sam Winston, and obviously it had a huge impact on the way they have portrayed dinosaurs in the whole series. It's nice to see how they did use birds even in the very earliest phases of Jurassic Park, which is why when we talked about it with Brad on his podcast today, we talk about how we actually don't really mind the science in Jurassic Park. We kind of like it because they do a good job of bringing that bird-like animation to the dinosaurs. And even though it's not the latest and greatest science, at least it was the latest and greatest in the early 90s. So it wasn't like some of the earlier things like Godzilla, where you're going back a hundred years. If you want to hear more about Jurassic Park and the science in it, as well as all the other goings on of Jurassic Park, check out Brad's podcast on Jurassic Park podcast. Yeah. And he's very active on Twitter too. So you can follow him at Jurassic Park pod. And that wraps up this episode of I Know Dino. Thanks for listening. And again, if you enjoy our free weekly podcast and you'd like to support us, I know we would love to keep this going. So the more feedback and support we get, the easier it is to keep going. Then please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash I Know Dino. Until next time. Good day.